Okay, good morning, Saturday morning, November Good morning, everybody. 14th. Hello. Welcome to the See Where It Goes podcast with your hosts, Brian and Bridget Ralph. Sorry, I'm adjusting the microphone. I should have done it before, but we did commit not to editing, so here you go. Well, today we're going to talk about the art of conversation and conflict. And if you want to get straight to that, go to the show notes and you'll see where we're actually going to start that. But first, uh, just a, a short preamble of a reflection of the week. Yes. Do first, you want to go first? Yeah. So okay. we talked last week about a bus, a bus shelter incident outside the British Embassy in Dublin uh, where, and if you don't remember, it's kind of a long story. Well, you, go, you can go back and listen to it in the Wild 90s Part 2. But anyway, there was an incident where after a pub night, my friend and I were walking across the street from the bus shelter and he threw a brick across the street. It was a wide street and he hit the bus shelter and it didn't smash. And I handed him a second brick and said, try again. And as I'm telling this story, as I remember it, he or his dad have to, had to pay for the bus shelter. And I thought it was 400 pounds. And I realized, wait a minute, I owe him half that money, even though it was 35 years ago. So I got a hold of the guy. I mean, it wasn't hard to get a hold of him because I talked to him with some frequency. And I reminded him of the story. And he came back and said his memory, was, he thought it was only 40 pounds, which is a big difference to replace the shelter. But he had to pay for it and he had to work part time to do it. So. Did you pay him? I did pay him. <laughs> I gave him half the money. I, I figured out what the money, what half of 40 pounds was, 20 pounds did the translation of currency and then it factored in um, inflation, which was only fair because, you know, 40 pounds when you're 16 working part-time. Yeah. You're not making much. Mm-hmm. So I sent it, I sent it to him. And uh, there, I wanted to circle back. That was fun. You know when the whole thing about better to give than receive, than receive it, felt, <clears throat> it felt great to... Yeah. He may reject it, but what I don't think he, he should. What did he say? Does I haven't, he know I haven't he doesn't know. It? He doesn't know yet. Oh, okay. He doesn't know or he's oh. like, too right. What does too right mean? Too right means um, <laughs> too right. You should have sent it. Oh, okay, too what right. What does too right mean? I don't know what I know what it means. Too right. Like mm-hmm. yeah, sure. I, oh, I don't, okay. I don't know the translation of too right. I've never said too right before. You've never you. said too right before. This podcast brings out all your Irishisms. Irishisms. So mm-hmm. then, uh, how about, that was the only uh, reflection from the last time. How about you? Well, last week was pretty uneventful. Uh, you know, the kids were doing school and all that normal stuff. I was painting. Well, actually, I didn't do that much painting this week. I, I basically had to take my new paintings and bring them onto my website. And I had had some of my other paintings photographed, and I brought those onto my website so they could be turned into prints. So I was busy doing that. I got a commission for a painting, so I started that. But then this fun thing that happened last night, or not fun, kind of weird, um, so we have a 17 year old who's almost 18 he'll be 18 next month and we were talking to our friends a couple weeks ago because they have an 18 year old they have an adult that lives at home we were asking them you know what do you do when your kid turns 18 like how does the relationship you know change and they were sharing with us how they just um told him you know as long as you are still in school or at a trade school or college or whatever, then you can live here and you know you can contribute to the household and you have to contribute to chores and things like that. But 
you know, as long as you're doing those things, then you're welcome to live here. But if at any point you decide to not be in school or not uphold your end of the bargain, then you need to like save money and, and move out and get your own apartment. But they don't, they don't tell them when to wake up, when to go to bed, where to go, what time he has to be home. Like none of those things because he's a grown up. So anyway, we've been giving our son more freedom over the last year, but obviously it's looked very different because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we just, you know, he doesn't go out almost not at all. But he asked yesterday to go to an outdoor concert on the south side of San Antonio. And so we allowed him to go because we figured it'd be pretty safe. He takes the bus because he doesn't have his driver's license yet. He's in no rush. And... And it was an outdoor concert. So we figured that would be, that's a pretty safe risk to take. Well, so he gets home last night after the concert, maybe around 9, 10 p.m. And he was offered meth at a bus stop. Mm. So he's at this bus stop and there's people doing meth. It's a man and a woman. And they have a meth pipe or crack pipe whatever you want to call it but anyway the woman is smoking meth and then they ask him if he if he wants meth and he says no and then they ask him did he want a drug called ice which i haven't looked up but does he want ice and he says what's ice and they're like shh kid you know they don't want him to like you know say this out loud and anyway he says no he doesn't want that either and i guess they were trying to tell him that he was in a, um, there was a rival drug dealer, I guess, that had just gone around the corner. Sheesh. <clears throat> I missed that part of the story. Yeah, but anyway, they were trying to shush him because, you know, Liam, is he's funny. He uh, he was asking them questions and stuff. But anyway, yeah. I was like, oh my well, he's gosh. He's a good conversationalist. Well, he is. He's a great yeah. conversationalist. He, he talks to people. He asks questions. And so anyway... Next, you know, he's going to be 18 and then, you know, he'll just be out there doing who knows what. But, um, yeah. There you go. Scary. That was, that was scary though, you know. Funny, funny, not funny story to share. I do like uh, part of the appeal of living here, this location. This, uh, as kids, we, we uh, went, would go into town on the bus a lot and, and you know, it was easy, somewhat easy to get there. So from the age of 12, I would go into town. And the location where we are is this, so from where I would have been from there to the general post office, which is the center of Dublin, to where we are is an equivalent distance. So from us to the Alamo, it's uh, it's that same distance. Oh, okay. So when he said he was going to grab the bus and go into town, it was nice because they haven't done that a lot, right? Well, he's no, older, so he haven't. should. But They've only done it a few times. But it's nice to... Um, they have that but anyway but he was much further though he wasn't no, he just was downtown. he was way down there he was in wicklow the equivalent but anyway oh so um a conversation and conflict we we decided we'd talk about and um so let's let's get into it. i think it's a good skill yes in yes. these times these trying it times is. and uh i first wanted to ask the question how did you learn the art of conversation me? How did I learn? Or did you? <clears throat> well, growing up, we didn't really have... I would say that we almost never had anyone over at the house. And we also... 
almost never sat around the table or anywhere for that matter and had a conversation because usually the way it went was my dad would be holding court, talking about what he wanted to talk about or griping about what he wanted to gripe about. And so he's either griping at us, dictating to us, or he would have the Bible open and he would be wanting to read the Bible to us and then talk about his favorite topic, which was the end times. <clears throat> and really, there's no conversation. He's basically talking at us as if we were his congregation. And he would also do that when people came over, too. Um, his favorite thing would be to take out the Bible and start talking at people. So I never really had... I wasn't ever in an environment where I'm observing adults having, you know, two-way, lengthy two-way conversations. You're also way out in the sticks, too, in the big, did they call it the big thicket? Well, the big thicket was around us, okay. yeah. Okay, so you we, were, we you called were, it the boondocks or the country. The boondocks, so you were kind of far, so, yeah. Well, and I think we would have had more visitors, and my dad was just absolutely, he never wanted people to come over. He wasn't a... See, I would assume that with, Friendly no, person. with no, no TV <clears throat> and a church community, you would have had more conversations than the average 80s, 90s no. kid, no? A 70s, 80s kid. Now, that could have been happening in other homes right? at that time, but that just wasn't something that happened in our home. Yeah. Um, so we had, a, we, we had a TV, so we would have watched TV in the evenings, to my memory. But then I think as we got older... I used to, we have, we'd have power cuts, power outage, mm-hmm. and um, we'd sit around the table, with light a candle and, and tell stories and talk. That was, I used, and I used mm-hmm. to hate when the power came back on, because that was a good memory. Oh, that's cool. When we'd lose power. Yeah. Um, but then as we got older, uh, my, my dad um, was home more, and so was mom, and they were in the kitchen a lot. They'd have tea, you know, a few times a day, so they were great pockets of time to sit and chat. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <clears throat> So they, yeah, they were good memories of conversation. So they weren't having their tea and like roaming around doing things. No. Like when they had the tea, they sat. You sat, down. you sat at the kitchen table. That's, yeah, that's really nice. What was nice? It was kind of a known thing. So I think that's something that uh, I remember. Um, an American cousin coming over lived in a um, wealthy cousin from um, Los Angeles, I think, and uh, she sat and had tea with them and. Mm-hmm. For the week she was there, and I remember her. I, think, I remember her breaking down, and I, maybe I got the story, but she started to cry because like she hadn't really experienced that. Wow! In her home of yeah. sitting and talking, so I do think that became a, 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 a people would love to stop by and and chat, mm-hmm. and and they could sit for hours and talk. Yeah. Over tea, so. And then I feel bad because you didn't ask me a question. I'm just telling you, and we're talking about the art of oh, conversation. Bro, Brian, I'm going to ask you a I'm going to oh. ask you a question. <laughs> yeah, what Brian? what's your question? How did you learn? Oh, well, thanks for asking. How to have a did conversation? Did you finish your? Did you finish your part? I did. Uh, so I think Ireland, growing up, was very conversationalist. Now, conversational. Conversational. I think the TV affected that, and of course, you know, people in the seventies were concerned, as they were in the sixties. Like, how is that going to affect us? Because people would, so people would stop by a lot. That was in the mm-hmm. age of stop. Like we had a guy. I thought he was my uncle, and it was sad to discover he wasn't. He was a friend who would stop by and sit and talk mm-hmm. once a week and as did my aunt and other people but i think tv affected that because you know you have you'd have your favorite shows that mm-hmm. you'd want to watch and um so i, I think 
that was affecting the Irish culture a lot, which which was a culture of stopping by, saying hi, having tea in the evenings, and now you have Dallas is on or whatever. So you want yeah, to people it. aren't going to leave when there's Dallas. Yeah, and then um, so I think that affected things, and then but other than that, I think you know, like the pub conversation. I'm trying to think of my earliest. Yeah, pub conversation. So we were 16 going out to the pubs, but I do remember Sunday nights in the pubs with my friends. Mm-hmm. Even at the age of 17, 18, we'd sit around and talk and and. Um, I think I was shy, so I think I also learned the art. Of, I, I learned the art of small talk, which isn't really conversation through mm-hmm. working at the hotel. So you'd be in the elevator with, or the lift with um, tourists, and you'd just have a small chat with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and then yeah, I think that was it. I think. So we, what did you guys talk about at seventeen, at sixteen, and seventeen? <clears throat> I don't remember. I don't know. We might have talked about politics because mm-hmm. I remember to having an early interest in politics at that age. Um, but I don't know. We might have talked about school. We all went to the same school, the secondary school, so we probably talked about that. And um, I don't remember, but I do remember, like in the pub, there was no TV, so it was an alcove, and we'd sit there and talk, and there was no distractions. And one of the big, one of the, um, uh, how would I say, unattractive parts when I came to the states was yeah. that 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 was lost. Now it's not. There's still there is pubs, but even some of. We went to that Irish pub. Remember, we oh walked in. Oh my god, in? it was awful. It looked like a it looked like a runway at nighttime. It was so bright. Yeah, so we went to an Irish pub that's in the quarry here in San Antonio, and we were so excited to try and find an Irish pub. And um, we went in, and I there was probably six televisions, probably more. It was completely lit up. It was the antithesis of an Irish pub. Oh, it from should, the outside, right? Oh, antithesis, sorry, I got you. It does, yeah, I got confused. So it was basically, you would never see a pub like that in Ireland. When you walk into a pub in Ireland, it's either very dim or it's dark. Yeah. And there are no televisions. Everyone is sitting and talking, and this place was, they should be banned from using the words Irish and pub together. It's sad because they had the Guinness bird on the outside, which was clever. Like they didn't have a leprechaun on the outside. They had, they made it look like they had nailed it with the Guinness bird, I thought. But as soon as we yeah. walked in, I wa- walked out. And then you went and talked to someone, which I was like, do you remember what you said? Well, I think I did one of my classic Bridget things. You did, exactly is, what it was, which is what, very direct? Well, I was just very direct. You were getting feedback, them, yeah. This yeah. is not an Irish pub. Like, uh, did you say, has did, did I? Yeah, you did. And the, I did. And I can, said it's very can, bright. It was awful. Did you ask them if they'd ever been in an Irish pub? I don't. I don't think I did. Okay, in my mind you did, but I think uh, I probably just blasted them. You're very polite. You're very, you know a classic Bridget thing is, and I I, I have to get used to this. You you're very direct, but but you're, there's a kindness behind it, and there's an intention behind it. Well, I think I was kind that night. I don't know. No, you were. Do you remember we were at a, a okay. side note? We were at because you waited tables for nine years, but there was this guy waiting <clears throat> tables, and you asked. Are you new? And he said, "Yeah." Can you tell? And you said, "Yeah." But let me give you some tips. Mm-hmm. I was mortified, but I think yeah, I think he, fe- <laughs> I think he, he oh felt good God. about it. like you were kind. And my said, family never wants to take me out with them. <laughs> but no, you weren't. Uh, but I think you. Uh, and we're gonna get to that in a minute. I think about feedback and offering feedback to people mm-hmm. and as a gift. I think it was a gift to know because you you just told him a few things that that he could have done differently next time. Mm-hmm. And you said, hey, I was away for a long time, and I understand. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Francis Bogside down, downtown San Antonio does a good job of... Yeah, of, they're much but, closer. But he's from... That guy, I think, is from Ireland. I haven't met him, but I think he is. 
Yeah, it's very dark in Francis Bogside. Yeah. You can, and the music is not too loud, so you can definitely have a conversation in there. And they have a lot of artwork yeah. on the walls, which I like. They yeah. do have a TV, don't they? They have one they, or They do, two, yeah, yeah. But it's not so intrusive. So you can still, so the TVs aren't distracting you, so you can still have a conversation. Yeah, see, that's what drives me nuts. Now, I mean, it might have changed back home, what? I'm sure it has. It's a Especially, very male thing in well, the I, States. I hate talking to someone and they're looking behind you at this freaking sports show. Yeah. Obviously, well, I'm not a big... Sports is a religion in the United States. Well, I'm not, I'm not a huge sports when, guy. Like, I get it. Like, if, you, if you're going to... If there's, like... Uh, if you're going to... If there's a game on, right, and it's an important game... Again, I've been away a long time, but I think what happens is they take the TVs come on for the big sports event and everyone watches. Yeah. But other than that, it's not dominating the night. Like on a Saturday night, Sunday night, there might be a TV, but it's buried in the corner, which is the way it should be. It's like... In Ireland, there will be like one television. Yeah. Well, growing up, there was one. And actually, the one was in the bar. It wasn't even in the lounge area. So the way they had it set up, there was a bar where the older folks went and the lounge was where the younger, hipper folks went, in, in my memory. So... Anyway, but like I was over at a place up here in La Cantera and I mean, there was television, there was nowhere, uh, there was nowhere where you couldn't see a television. Yeah. You had to stick your head in a corner. That's gross. And close your eyes to not see a television. Yeah. They were everywhere and it was so overpowering. So anyway, I think I won't go to like, there's a pub that has all these amazing craft beers here in San Antonio and it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. But I don't want to go there because you walk in and there's like. A thousand televisions. No, do, do and you, I don't remember the name of it. Is it the Art House? Yes. That's the place I was just talking about. <clears throat> I never want to go to that place because of their blasted televisions. No, and I agree. The beer selection is great, but it's like, tone down. The t- they, sh- they should call it a television store featuring beer. Anyway, right. Okay, I digress. So how do you, how do we create uh, an environment for conversation? Some tips. Okay, well, I think that... Um, well, in our in our home, one thing that I think that we've always done is we've had family meals. We, I mean, for years we ate every dinner together, and then on the weekends we would even eat, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. And there would be no phones at the table; television wouldn't be on. What's funny? We said no toys at the table. No toys at the table. At, as they were kids. Yeah. And we still call them toys, even though they're now phones. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think the dinner table, the family dinner table, that's yeah. a wonderful place and do check-ins and Yeah. You can do highs and lows, have everyone share a high and low or you can have people just tell about their day. Um I think that's a great way to get your kids and your family into the habit of having conversations and then also being in different social environments. Um we would when we lived on seminary campus in, in Colorado, we would have these Sunday night gatherings where it was, you know, you brought your own dinner and everyone hung out together. We would have a lot of conversation there. The kids would be mixed with the adults. And then the church we went to, um, we right. would go. So like after this service on a Saturday evening, we would all be talking together. And then we go back to the pastor's house. And she had a, Jean had a really large dining room table. Easily would have, what, 15 people around that table? And the kids are sitting with the adults. Yeah. And we're having all kinds of conversations. We're talking about 
theology, talking about languages, talking about politics, talking about food and funny things. And this whole thing of like separating, I think kids learn how to have conversations when they can observe conversations. Yeah, I agree. And when they can be involved in conversations. And I think for eight, for, for ages, we've done it that way. Mm-hmm. Like the only action happening in a house 100 years ago and beyond um, is, is the dinner table, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and probably that's the only heated area of the house. So you're not going to go to your bedroom as a kid. It's probably cold and it's lonely and it's the place you go when you sleep or you're in trouble. So you probably, your only option would be to probably stick around. Well, and that's way back in time. I'm thinking pre-TV even. Right, pre-TV, yeah. Which, you know, so, but we've always done it that way. Our mm-hmm. kids have always been in our conversations and now we're... Well, but in the 50s in America. Yeah. I think they did have conversations, but I think, well, culturally, some families don't don't talk about things with their kids. Like, there's some families who were like, kids are to be seen and not heard. Right, yeah. So I think you, I think part of that you take as a family by family basis. Yeah. You know, some families probably included their kids in the conversations and some families probably didn't. Even though they were still having meals together, maybe it was more superficial. I don't know. I was thinking when I was single, though, <clears throat> um, I would uh, just make myself a sandwich. Mm-hmm. That was it. It wasn't like a thing. And I had a friend upstairs who was single, um, Paul Catterson from Belf- Northern Ireland. This is when I lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he knocked on the door one day and says, you want to come up for dinner? And he made dinner and we sat and talked. And it just made me think, like, like for single people, like, I know we're in COVID now, but, like, why couldn't you do that? Right. I mean, I was I think people probably just go out with friends, but what could you? Like, he was a neighbor. And now, granted, we knew each other from the pub, too, and we were from Ireland. But still, like, why if you're two single neighbors, what's wrong with just knocking on the door and saying, hey, I, I was going to cook. Do you, why don't you join me? Right. I, so I think like that was great when he did that because it's like it's so nice to have the company. Yeah. So I mean, there's ways that yeah. Well, and two on environment, let's get even more specific. Yeah. So there's who you're doing it with, and then how you're doing it, because I think people want to relax into a conversation if they're in a nice environment, as in, like in the winter time. For several years now, we eat by candlelight. Oh, yeah. So I think candlelight creates an ambiance. You can have on some low music. Um, You know, you can create like a nice, cozy environment in the summertime. Maybe you eat outside. You put out, you know, nice dishes and a nice drink. Either, you know, if you're having a bottle of wine, then get the kids like some sparkling cider or something like that. Like our kids get into the whole like celebration of the meal. Mm. And even like on holidays or whatever, we'll let them have a little bit of wine and they'll drink out of wine glasses or they'll have like a really weak margarita or a virgin margarita because you have, we can dress up this whole thing with, you know, dressing up, dress up your table, dress up your drinks, make it a little bit fancy um, and even if it's casual, like that's still nice. Like you, yeah. you guys have bro night. Can you say, tell us oh, about yeah. bro night? Well, it was. Uh, it used to be tea party. I started with tea party when they were like really young. We, mm-hmm. We'd have tea parties, and then um, and then they got older. Now we have bro night, and uh, we started including Finn. 
mm-hmm. my daughter, because she has a boy's name, so she can. No, I mean, we just want to exclude ourselves. Myself, uh, two sons, I don't my get daughter. to go to bro night. No, no. Sometimes you've had an honorary. Um, no, I, last invite. night I got to go to bro night, but so, I normally don't get to go to bro night. Yeah, we usually sit and um, and uh, hang out in the back porch, and just I'm, I might have a bourbon and a whiskey, and then they have maybe soda, or I have they can have a little taste of what I'm tasting. Right. They get a little. Brian gives them a little bit of bourbon, yeah. just a tiny bit. And he also, they also have a pipe. A little pipe, yeah. They so have, not much And they though. have a pipe. And they will, love will we it. we get arrested now? So my son Callum, he's 13. Yeah. Hey, be careful. And he he will set up bro night. Oh, he's, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he loves it. Like right. he brings the chairs, because they do it on the back porch. So he'll bring the chairs out, the table, the low table. He brings all the bourbon out whatever's there he'll bring beer out he brings appetizers all the glasses all the stuff for the pipes candles he likes candles and he just loves it and um of course i never went out there i never went and actually sat and had bro night with him but then last night i got to go because i wanted to try smoking a pipe because i never smoked a pipe before and um so I went out, so Callum was telling me the rules of bro night, which I yeah. didn't know there were rules. Yeah. And again, there's no toys allowed. Right. Like the phones are not allowed. Um, all electronics stay in the house. And, you know, you just sit and have conversation. And then and, he has two hammocks in the back. So sometimes yeah. we'll, we'll sit in those and talk. Um, I didn't know the rule about the phones. It makes sense, but I didn't know he had, he had added that rule. Well, yeah. I mean, for him, it was just... No, he Here loves setting are. it up, yeah. Yeah, he's setting it up, and it's just a time to have... Yeah. What I'm hoping for, and I'm hoping I'm not wrong, is to take the mystique out of um, alcohol and tobacco. And to, and, and I am sure, and I still struggle with it. It's just pretty terrible that they're even allowed to have a little tobacco and alcohol, but it's okay, all Brian. we're missing is firearms. If anyone is judging ATF us, we don't care. So, But, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about that last night where, like, because what we're creating is an event or a, um, not an event. There's another word I'm looking for. Like it's, you know, what, you know what, like Christmas isn't an event. It's a holiday. No, I'm trying, what? The, I can't think of the tradition? word. Tradi- yeah, tradition. This is a tradition or something, right. a ceremony we've done. So right. the focus is on the point of the ceremony is to come together and talk. And those other things are, are, are appendages to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that that's the way it, Right. It happens, you know. There's always that fear of, oh my gosh, he's going to be walking around with a stogie in his mouth his well, whole life. But the thing is, is their kids. I know people who are alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. And their parents approach these things in completely different ways. Like it yeah. doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. I have. A, I know someone whose brother is homeless. Like he's a hardcore drug addict. Oh man. And they had really amazing parents. They yeah. Weren't abused. There's just no magic and formula, right? One of them is this responsible human being, and the other one is a hardcore drug addict. But that's just you don't you can't. Our kids could do anything. Yeah, yeah. There's no guarantee that what we do in our parenting is yeah. going to guarantee some sort of magical outcome for our kids. Yeah, like we've taught them right from wrong and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, they, they are their own person. Um, one other just side thing on, on the tobacco. So when I was probably 13, 12 or 13, my dad had this box of cigars someone gave mm-hmm. us. 
And over the span of two years, my friend Rory and I would take two and go would up the tree. Steal them? Yeah, we'd climb we to the top of the elm tree. Two. <laughs> take two. <laughs> climb to the top of the elm tree. Uh-huh. And uh and smoke them. And we I never knew this either. And then we'd uh we'd uh you know, we thought it was the funniest thing, we were like Groucho Marx, whatever, we'd go, you know, like that. You can't see that, but um, oh my gosh we'd smoke them and then so you would steal two cigars every year at, no no so over the span of two years we would just okay. or maybe three years we'd just take two at a time thinking he wouldn't oh, okay. notice but eventually it emptied out yeah that was when we were 14 well like I'm 50 now this was four years ago five years ago uh-huh. when dad was 85 yeah he were in the middle of the conversation he said like the time when you and Rory would steal my cigars and smoke them up the tree I said <laughs> you, you, you knew about that oh, so I had no funny. idea he knew I mean I knew he because he, he never smoked cigars, so I figured like he doesn't. He probably noticed they were empty, but how did right. he know? He knew what we were doing, yeah. and he obviously knew we were smoking him up a tree, and he yeah. never said anything for the whole time yeah. until it came up casually five years ago. Well, obviously, he didn't care that much. It was so funny, probably didn't though. think it was that harmful. It, I don't know. <laughs> Just, it was an interesting guy. That's that he, hysterical. It was funny. Um, one thing we talked about, too, is date night for you and I in, married, mm-hmm. in our marriage. Um we did six weeks of premarital counseling. Yeah. And one thing that really stuck, which was important, was always date each other. Yes. Never stop. Always have it in your budget. Thank no you, matter Doug what. Harsh. Thank you, Doug Harsh, for that. Uh, I think, and we did, even in the hardest of times, we'd make sure there was... And Larry and Virgin. Yeah. That there was money put aside for date night, no matter what. So money yeah. put aside for date night, money put aside for babysitters. And I think, for, with the exception of a few weeks right after the kids were born... We might not have gone, but I think every two weeks we've always gone out and had yeah. that conversation. Yeah, we have. And I think it's good because I remember like we it had, after the kids were born, um, it had been five, six weeks and we sat and we together in a restaurant and it felt awkward mm-hmm. talking. Like we had to warm up to it. Did we? Just that one remember. time. Otherwise, I think we've stayed in the rhythm where, where we're used to talking to each other. But I remember yeah. feeling like you were a stranger. Oh, that's weird. Did I ever tell you that? You probably did, but I don't remember. It was in a Greek restaurant downtown. and But within 10 minutes, we were good. We were in the groove. Yeah. And I think... But I think that's okay. When I say I think it's okay, I mean, it's okay to have that awkward feeling and get in the groove. Right. But I think if, you, if you're if you out of the groove a long time, that, right. that's when it could, get, it could get... So I think for right. marriage, that's been helpful. Campfires. We had a campfire. We, we sometimes put a... We cleaned the driveway, and it's a, a, a friend of ours, Tony, did some nice brickwork on it, and uh, where there used to we be. We really grass. don't have a front yard. We have a driveway as a front yard. And I think we sometimes put a bonfire there, and sometimes um, just people will stop by when a they see fire the fire pit. fire pit. Sorry, fire pit. Yeah. Or also, you could just you could just text and say, "Hey, we're just hanging out by the fire." So I think that can be a nice thing for neighbor conversations too. Mm-hmm. You know, which is always nice. Um, and then the last thing on book club, you've you did a you joined a book club that mm-hmm. was very helpful for conversation. Yeah, I love going to the book club and meeting. So like my friend Colleen, she was in a book club and then she invited me to go. And then I meet all these really cool women who, you know, they all have different professions and and things and they're really smart and fun. And it was just great to be in an environment with a different group of people that I'd never been around before who, who have now become my friends. And, um, yeah, I love, you know, putting yourself out there and meeting new people because then that opens up your world to having new conversations that maybe you had never had before. 
because you know other people have different interests and then obviously when you're reading a book and you're sharing this you're yeah. having this shared experience yeah then you have a lot of jumping off points for conversation yeah in a book club <clears throat> what about conversation in our digital age thoughts about that so i think we I think the potentially maybe having fewer conversations in person. Yeah. And then maybe having a lot of conversations through the digital device, through texting and mess and direct messaging and stuff like that. So one thing that's come out of the COVID pandemic and the quarantine has been an increased, I think an increased communication with people. I'll speak for myself, but I've Mm -hmm. heard this pattern. Yeah. So I've reconnected with... Uh, some friends on a, on a continual basis and mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have happened if the quarantine hadn't happened yeah which is interesting because I wouldn't have talked to them anyway because mm-hmm. they were so far away but for some reason something shifted where there was more of an intentionality to connect with more frequency with some people who I'd lost connection with mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm alone in that do you think it's because you could be having fewer distractions because of the pandemic? I think so. I think we were home more. So mm-hmm. And you think maybe that the pandemic has given you I think the pandemic has potentially given everyone on the planet a common Yeah. Maybe I think common that, ground. I think I think I think it was I think it's that. Yeah. I think it kind of put into perspective like What's really important? Mm-hmm. How are we spending our time here? And I think when we were forced to be grounded, I mean, could you imagine the amount of parents who just are full-time chauffeurs and how much mm-hmm. they probably love not having to be, as much as maybe the kids at home not doing sports drove them nuts, but, but just to stop and cease everything and be forced to do it and collectively as a planet be forced to do it. That's the other unique part about mm-hmm. it. Like we're all going through this grounding. And I think, for so for me, I think it was the second thing you said, which is, Everything got put in perspective, but also mm-hmm. we did, at the beginning, it's it is a deadly um, virus, and what we it, we felt it was a lot, lot deadlier in March. We were seeing those images from Italy come in, so I think there was also a fear of like right. I could get this and die. Right, exactly. What's I important? Think so. Right. so I think a lot of it was that, and it's like let's reconnect. Mm-hmm. So then, when everyone's grounded, they're moving into the digital space more, maybe, and then we're connecting more. So mm-hmm. I, I think because the the people I reconnected weren't people I would see in in person. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so yeah, I think um, that's been interesting. And then I think, um, I just wanted to go back to letters. Like letters aren't really a conversation, but uh, I was thinking about asynchronous versus synchronous. So synchronous is where you, something, two things are happening at once. So we're, we're doing a synchronous conversation. Mm-hmm. If we were writing letters back and forth, that would mm-hmm. be asynchronous. So mm-hmm. you, you receive my letter, you look at it, and you send a message back. But I was thinking how much communication in the, before digital would have, if you weren't in person, it was all letter writing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, although that's not conversation, I think there's a value in that because a friend of mine had been going back and forth with voice clips that are a few minutes long. He's overseas, so I may give a voice clip and then he'll respond the next day and we go back and forth. So it's like a voice pen pals. Mm-hmm. And although it's not the same as an in-person conversation, it um, there is something about listening to it, digesting it, and then responding thoughtfully to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's value in asynchronous conversation Mm -hmm. in our times like letters are great there's something powerful about a handwritten letter but if Mm -hmm. you don't want to do that and you had mentioned texting and i think texting is so short that it doesn't have the same 
quality to it but i think if you do video or voice clips to people even if it's not in person there's something nice there's something nice about the one-on-one part of that whereas like with facebook we're blasting stuff out to everyone yeah but there is something about the one-on-one connection yeah i like the voice i like recording my voice and sending it because i can i can express my thoughts i can express more of my thoughts than if i text because i actually text with one finger i've never mastered the art of texting with two fingers my kids make fun of me and it's interesting because with the text i'm trying to think of what to say and then i realize it's going to take me a long time to type all of that yeah and so then i'm trying to think how can i say this in a in a shorter text or what is the most important thing that i need to say and you can always tell when someone's doing that on the other end because the bubbles will come up and then the bubbles disappear yeah. And then the bubbles come up and then the bubbles disappear. That means they're deleting it. I think so, yeah. yeah it's yeah, almost like yeah, they yeah. Are, they're going through that process oh, of interesting. like, yeah, that's right. yeah. are they trying to right. formulate their response? Yeah. Because people, I mean, I've had people tell me they get pissed off if someone doesn't respond to their text right away. But I just find that sometimes I need a minute. No, you, there's value in forming your thought, though, you know, right? Yes, there's a lot of value. Yeah. But I can form it better if I record it. Yeah. And sending the voice clip, then I feel like I can express myself so better I, that way. I want to bring something up that I wasn't planning on talking about, but okay. there's a term called rubber ducking that I heard, and it's and it comes from the idea you're in the bathtub and you're talking to the rubber duck, and mm-hmm. in the act of doing that, you resolve a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's come to mind over the last few weeks where um, I found just through, through talking, mm-hmm. um, I resolved my own issue. But but it relies on another person listening, either mm-hmm. either synchronously or asynchronously. Mm-hmm. But I've had some breakthroughs where I'm, I'm talking, and, and I was talking to another uh, Agile coach about this, and I was like, why is it important to have the other person on the other end of that message, whether mm-hmm. it's live or whether they're waiting for it or, you know, it's not instant. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, when you know, because like I'll do voice clips and I'll record, I might do, record my own voice or write mm-hmm. a personal or just a journal entry to, and I, I may not get that same clarity. He said, when you know there's a person on the other side, it forces you to really form your thought well. And in, do, mm-hmm. in the act of doing that, it can, it can bring you some clarity about an issue mm-hmm. you're having or a problem. Mm-hmm. So that's almost like conversating with yourself, mm-hmm. but but not anyway. Sorry, interesting. That was a side thing there. Um, one other thing about the digital world. So when um, I've had before pandemic, I had two video beers with friends, mm-hmm. um, who you know one in Chicago, one in Portland, and it was awkward at first. This is a year or two ago, right? Yeah, it was awkward at first because I'd never done it, but now I think more people are doing that and it's becoming less awkward mm-hmm. and i think it's something we could continue to do like i, I have a weekly uh check-in with friends who i knew years ago and and we have beers and and it, it's four people I, mm-hmm. I can imagine if it's a bigger crowd it's awkward there's a lot of cutting off but but you could do that too like i've heard of other people a lot of people, other people doing that having intentional yeah. um like even your book club considered going digital didn't it yeah, we thought we thought about it. I think they did it once. They did it once, and then. But now we're gonna start meeting again in person outside. And we can only do ten people because that's the rule. Now, uh, 
So one thing yeah. we forgot to say, Brian, is yeah. so you learned how to have a conversation organically because it was modeled. I think so, yeah. For you. And, yeah. But then I, since I did not have it modeled for me, yeah. I had someone had to kind of teach me yeah. how to have a conversation. Yeah. And so that would be my friend Jackie. You guys heard about her in the last podcast. So I think we were at a pub called Goose Island. And she very gently told me one night that she said, when you have a conversation with someone, you're not supposed to just talk about yourself. Yeah. You're supposed to ask people questions. And she probably said more than that. But I remember I didn't get upset. Cause so she must have said it in a very yeah gentle way. Um, but that was just like a key thing that no right. one had ever pointed out to me. Um, and I still meet people to this day who will never ask a single question. Yeah. Which is so frustrating. So, and so I, I've never pointed that out to anyone that they should ask questions. I probably should, but. No, I, I think that's great. So like, while I th- think I would have learned the art of conversation growing up, that doesn't mean it was the correct way. Right. Because it could have been, let's just out joke each other. Okay. You know what I mean? Or right. whatever. Like, so, but I, I think that's been the most key skill I've learned. And I, I don't, I think I learned it later than you. Um, so, but I, so I, I think as we talk about how to conversate, if conversate's mm-hmm. a thing, I think, I think that's key. Like, are you asking questions mm-hmm. and you ask them from a place of genuine curiosity? Like, mm-hmm. I think the reason your friend Joe Rogan is so successful is because he's genuinely curious. He is. And that's what makes, I think, and that's why he is so great at being an interviewer because he's genuinely curious about the other person and their world and stuff. And he doesn't get, he doesn't get, well, every now and then he might get a little bit flustered, but even if he's talking to someone with completely different opinions or beliefs than himself, he, he asks them very pointed questions. He's like, he asks like, well, why, why do you see it that way? Or what made you come to that opinion? You know what? Hold that thought, or, would you? Because okay, yeah. I want to get to that in the conflict okay. part. Because there's something that happened on the Joe Rogan show, if you remember. Mm-hmm. It might have been Chris Rock or something. Maybe not. But it was somebody. <gasps> yes. So, it was so hold that. Kev, it was Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. So hold that when we get to the conflict section. Because that was I very good. I love that. So um, I think the key with, with good conversation is, um, is asking questions. Yes. And, and and I think so. Uh, and also another one is active listening. So mm-hmm. what is active listening? So there's 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 a few levels of listening, and I forgot the first two. <laughs> Maybe it's passive, but one is where you're not. First of all, one is where the first level is where you're you're not really listening, mm-hmm. right? You're, what are you doing instead of you're listening? thinking of something else, right? Okay. Can you think of anyone who that are might, you thinking of? You're thinking, thinking of what of you're going to say. You could be, yeah. You could be thinking about what you're going to say, mm-hmm. but you're not really listening to what the person's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, the second level is where you are listening, but the information you're getting is to be used for your next part. So you're gonna, so you'll say something, mm-hmm. and I'll say, "Oh yeah, that reminds me of a time with me." And what oh, happens is okay. you, you keep pulling it back to yourself. Gotcha. So you tell a story about, hey, when I grew up in the uh, uh, Beaumont area. Oh, I've been to Beaumont. Let me tell you about that. Right, right. So that's your second. But your third level and your most, I'd say, mature level is active listening where the focus is actually on you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have two people doing that, I think that could could be great. So so Mm -hmm. active listening is where not just where I'm listening to you and I'm remembering what you said. Mm -hmm. So 
I think the best conversationalists are people who not just ask questions, but they active listen, which means they're asking questions, but they're actually remembering what you said. Mm -hmm. And then they're folding that back into the current conversation mm -hmm. or future conversations. Mm -hmm. So I worked with a guy years ago, really nice fella, Chris, and uh, he, um, we would walk outside the board of trade and, and it's like the whole, we called him the mayor. Everyone mm -hmm. knew this guy. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone knew him. It was a joke, you know? And um, his cousin wrote an article for the Daily Southtown newspaper and it was about Chris. And, and when I read it, the cousin said the key to Chris's likability was his curiosity about people and his asking mm -hmm. questions. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't see it. Like, I didn't know what it was. And when I read it, it's like, he's right. That's exactly what it mm -hmm. is. Because not only would he ask a lot of questions, but he'd remember all the details mm -hmm. and he'd follow up and ask. Yeah. So when I'd go down to visit, when I, we were first dating and I didn't get down to visit you, um, he'd remember and he'd say, yeah. you know, and, but uh, as I, as I think about those qualities, so he'd, he'd not only ask questions, but he'd, he'd active listen and he'd remember. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and he's one of those guys where you got to, and I have a few friends like this and I'm fortunate to have them where you have to Paul Ford. Yeah. And Al Tenley. Yeah. And, 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 and many others who are great question askers and yeah. take an interest and you almost have to stop and say, well, let me ask about you. Right. Right. And I think that's a great gift though, to mm -hmm. have that. Um, you know what I mean? Where, yeah. where, where people are great at asking questions and stuff. So, um, but when we were talking about that, you said, um, there's a, there can be a downside to that. There can be. Well, I don't know if it's a downside, but it's definitely... People use it as a technique. Right. It's also a technique. So right. when you're learning how to do business and building relationships and networking, one of the skills that you learn is how to make someone like you. Yeah. And the way that you make someone like you is by listening to them yeah and by asking them lots of questions and making them feel like a million dollars and by doing that you make that person feel amazing and yeah. you make them feel incredibly important yeah and but i guess the thing you have to watch with that is you know are you being genuine or not because i mean how many people can you have like a really deep relationship with you can't. That's why the whole so, friends, the friends thing on Facebook is a silly label. Right, it is a silly label because they're really not your friends. No. They're like, you know, acquaintances yeah, or yeah, an acquaintance yeah. of an acquaintance. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, we do. It is great. It it is good in the sense that you want to treat someone with respect. Right. And it does help you make that person feel very valued. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're using those techniques yeah, it, it, in it, order to get a sale. Right. You're kind of using your, it's, then they become a means to an end. They become a means to an end. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I feel kind of gross about doing that. No, I, I, I totally get it. Unless it's, it's, I really want to have a relationship with that person. It was Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Just the title is a bit Maxwell, creepy. John Maxwell, yeah. a lot of people write about that stuff. Yeah. But it it really is these business techniques they are they're manipulative. I think so. I think cuz what they're probably doing they're seeing what people do when they ask questions and actively listen out of from a place of curiosity where there's nothing in it for them. And like the right. examples of the friends I gave like they they just were curious and I mean Right. I mean, what was in it for them maybe was the gift of friendship, which was very much, too, which is yeah. and was a two-way two, two -way street and of, of mutual um, 
joy, I guess. But mm-hmm. maybe these business people see that happening and realize we yeah. can use that to our advantage. And I think it's yeah. kind of sinister then, isn't it? Well, you're, so. it's kind I of a bait and switch, isn't it? Grubby it's a when I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt grubby. Well, and then I, this brings up something. I remember when I, one of the main reasons why I fell in love with you oh, yeah. is because you were a very good listener. Oh, I was. <laughs> yeah, you were. Well, you yeah. still are. Well, you yeah. still can be. I struggle a bit with. But you're really good overall. Okay, good. Thanks. Yes. You, you too. Because you really strive to be. Right. But I remember that I could tell you things and you listened and I remember you asked me questions and I remember going on dates with you. And I remember one thing that really stood out to me when we would be out with other people. Yeah. You asked them a lot of questions. Yeah. And that was something that was pretty rare to me. Like, I can't think of any other boyfriend that I ever had, or maybe we weren't around people, but you would say, where are you from? You would say, like, what state are you from? What city? You know what, though? I'm glad you said that because I thought, um, this is when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, right? Yeah. Because when I, I just went to that coaching thing in Atlanta, 2016, they talked about active listening and the importance of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I just learned the importance of it then, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad I was doing that because I do think I was, it was genuine curiosity Mm -hmm. because those, because here's one of the questions I think I would ask people, how big is the city? What's the population? Yeah. And they'd never know. And maybe they thought it was, but I, 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 I think I was genuinely curious about their home because it informs you about them Mm -hmm. and now i i hear i don't know if it's true or not i'm hearing this the new rule is you can't ask people where they're from but that's different though yeah yes i can well that's a person of color you can't ask in our politically correct yeah microaggression world that we're living in today right you can still ask a white american what city they are from yeah but you I think if you're of European descent, yeah. of course we can do anything because we have freedom of speech, right? Yeah. First Amendment. What we're saying is like the rules that have been imposed upon us or trying to be imposed upon us by the far left basically is that if you are a person of color, by asking a person of color where they are from, it's kind of like you're pointing out they are... I don't know, maybe different or whatever. I don't know what it means, but if you see someone, okay, say like you're talking to someone who obviously has an accent. Yeah. And maybe they have a different type of hairstyle and they're a person of color. Yeah. You, according to this movement, you are not allowed to ask them where they are from or compliment their hairdo. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Or it's just this whole new set of rules that. So I'm gonna I'm ignoring those rules if they exist if they I'm right and them. I don't think that's I don't think that would be offensive to all people of color, but there is a certain movement that you know I'm still trying to learn about it, like and learn. You know all these. I think yeah. On one level, like the to person, be respectful, but yeah, I think the person on the other end of that has to be intuitive enough to know that where that question is coming from. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it depends on the context. Like, if you're a person of color and then and somebody's asking you where you're from and you're picking up some heavy waves there, it's like that they're basically saying you're not welcome here, then that's a different story. Yeah. But, like, I met a person from the Congo last week and I was mm-hmm. I said, hey, can I guess where you're from based on your accent? And I was way off. Yeah. And we talked. Like, if like if she was offended by that, then 
I wanted to tell me because I meant no offense. I was just right. hearing her accent and I was curious. People are curious where I'm from and I, I say, well, take a guess. Right. Well, I asked her too where she was from. I actually already knew where she was from. Yeah. But I was asking her questions about about where she was from. But I think the difference is, is that she, that that particular person I don't believe is living in, is like a part of that movement yeah 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 they're kind of like she's kind of removed from that movement i think so that's why i felt comfortable asking her those questions but well i think what happens is you get a few gobshites around around doing stupid things and gobshites is a polite word for um people who make other people feel very unwelcome and then you have to come up with these general rules and i think Right. Like if you're walking around and you're you you think you're better than everyone else and and no one else should be in uh, in your land, then you go need to go sit in your shed for a while and and really think through things. Yeah. That's a very polite way of whatever I was trying to say. Oh, but I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, but all you're trying to say. But I'm okay. I'm just saying, like it's like I think you have to take it case by case, and uh, I had another thought, and I've completely forgot what I was going to say. But you were asking. Oh, that, oh. Because you were asking that other couple where they were from, Laura. Remember, you were asking her where she was from, and she was from New York, and you guys were having a whole conversation about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was, well, because um, it is curious. It is, I'm curious to know where people are from and what mm-hmm. their backgrounds are. But you've are. always done that. I've always done that, yeah. So if that's a new rule, too bad. But um, do you remember Liam met that guy in the airport in Chicago? Oh, my gosh, yes. The guy was from Angola. Yes. And uh, I don't think he expected... I mean, Liam just happens to know... A ton of geography and the guy said uh liam goes yeah i know where angola is he goes you do he goes yeah it's in west africa and they started talking about angola and, and liam knew more about angola than just that yeah he knew quite a bit the guy was so stunned he took an angolan flag out of his bag and handed yes. it to liam and liam still has it yeah well, so i think the guy felt very blessed that it's like you know about my home why wouldn't right. you I well mean, and that brings up a whole other point this podcast is not about this but yeah, knowing yeah. things yeah yeah having things to talk about actually this does fit in yeah like reading books, listening right. to podcasts, studying subjects, knowing right. geography. I suck at geography. It's not yeah. that I suck. I don't take the time to learn it. But Liam knows like the whole entire world. Yeah. He can basically probably sit down and talk to anyone about any country on the planet. And he would have at least two or three facts to to share. Whereas I don't. But to be a good conversation conversationalist maybe yeah. have some things to talk about i need to you know i remember roxanne with steve martin yes i need to carry liam around but, but I'm, in, I'm in conversation with people yeah. have him sit somewhere nearby and I, he gives mm-hmm. me a headset and i can right he, he can feed me information <laughs> about the world okay so i think we talked about the best conversation examples we've had right have we covered enough so, of yeah. that what are the worst okay conversations you've been in well I've had a couple lately, and then both revolved around politics, which we're in a very volatile time right now with politics. And one was with conversation of people of the opposing political party, and one was with people of the same political party. Even though I'm not, I said this in one of the, the other podcasts, I am a moderate, I'm an independent. And... The past two elections, I have not been crazy about my choices of who to vote for. Let's just put it that way. But basically, I've had, I had two conversations 
And one, I had said I voted for a particular person. And these other people were appalled. And I basically got pounced on. And if you're going to have a conversation with someone, number one, don't pounce on someone. Because then that person is not going to want to talk to you. And basically, they I almost was crying. You know, tears were welling up in my eyes. And I really wanted to shut everything down. But because all of these people were near and dear to me, I picked up my conversation tool belt and I began to ask questions and asking specific questions. Why, what, what are you afraid of? If this particular person gets into office, why are you afraid? What, how is this person being elected to the presidency? How is this personally going to affect your life? And then as they shared those things with me, and then I was asking, okay, can you explain that to me? And so I was able to do that. But the, but the fascinating thing was, and the hurtful thing was, that not a single person in that conversation asked me mm. anything. Why did I choose my vote the way I did? Now, I ended up telling one of those persons just one reason why I chose. But there was no follow-up questions to that from that particular individual. But um, not a single person, they were so convicted in their rightness and in their convictions that it wouldn't even occur to them to ask me a single thing. Hmm. I was just out of my mind. And this will shut down any conversation. If you go into any conversation thinking you are always right, you have nothing to learn, there's no possibility in the world you could be wrong or not have all the information or that just we have different opinions. And sometimes they're simply opinions. They're not facts. They're opinions. Some things are facts. Some things are opinions. Now, then I was in a conversation with someone who had voted for the same candidate as myself. But again, we were having a conversation on a movement going on right now, pretty much an agreement on the movement, but yet at the same time, I was feeling like my opinion was more nuanced. And again, I'm getting that same feedback, like that same big reaction. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. So this is not, I'm not trying to say it's one one political side over the other because the same thing happens in religion when people talk about religion people usually think their religion is 100 percent right and they have absolutely nothing to learn or they can't be wrong so usually it's just a spewing of facts or what they think are facts or spewing of information and vomiting all over the other person and that gets us nowhere um a quote came to mind uh that I was reading during the week is by it's a book called Say What You Mean the a mindful approach to nonviolent communication and I think it fits it's it said we've all had experiences of not being seen or of looking right through someone else it feels as if the other person is talking at you rather than to you 
are like you're talking to a wall. Lack of mutuality is an absence mm-hmm. of presence. It turns dialogue into monologue. Absolutely. And I think sometimes that happens where we're just barking our opinions at the other person, yeah. and then the other person becomes invisible. They, be, they, mm-hmm. they've just become. It, it, you're like a wall. They're like right. talking to a wall. You've become this wall. It's like you're well, not, you you're become a, human. a wall because when someone is is talking at you, your defenses go up. Yeah. And, and you not. have to actively try and make them go down. Yeah. Because you don't want to harm your relationship with that person. Right. So if you don't have the tools of conversation and the and the mindset of wanting to learn and grow, then you can't you're going to retreat from that person instead of move towards them. And I think this is a perfect time. What is that? 1 hour in. To hit conflict, because I think now we're talking about... Well, I wanted to say another thing about... Oh, go ahead. So, Tristan, I think this his, guy, his name is Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris. And I think he's the guy who uh, did the Netflix yeah. Uh, yeah, documentary yeah. called The Social Dilemma. Right. And it's all about, you know, social media and everything. And in our political climate, we see... And I'm guilty of this, so I'm not trying to say that I'm innocent... I've done this. I'm guilty of it. I stopped doing it. Um, But when you post or when we post memes making fun of a political candidate. Now, that's our right. That's your First Amendment right. I get it. You have every right to do it. But just know when you do it, memes create violence. And that's proven. That's a st- statistical fact. And because you can imagine you're on the opposite side, you're on that computer screen and you're looking at a meme that comes across making fun of Joe Biden, making fun of Donald Trump. When you're the person watching it and maybe you're laughing because you agree because you think the person's an idiot. But what if you don't agree? This is your candidate and it comes across Number one, you are feeling no love at that moment for that person who posted it. You are feeling no love for the opposing movement. And I know this is because this is how I feel when I see stuff come up. And this creates people, this creates division and it creates the potential for violence and for people going out and doing stupid things. So, and I'll have to look up the stats, but I just wanted to say... Even though we have the freedom to say and do whatever we want on the internet, think about it. Think about what you're posting before you put it out there. I wonder why the meme, because a meme is a picture with very few words. I wonder right. why that ha- causes such a reaction. I don't know. And even I had, oh my gosh, I saw two things. Did I say this in the last podcast? Well, I think I, I did. I did say this already. Well, maybe they didn't listen to the last but podcast. But right after the election... I saw two people posted oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. really hardcore stuff. And honest to God, I felt like I had been slammed in the chest with a bowling ball. Yeah. Like that, that's how it feels. And that's like when we put our vile, our gross stuff out on display and how we feel, you know, that's potentially how you're making someone feel on the other end of that. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. Receiving if, that. 
if a meme is the antithesis to a conversation because you're just throwing it out it there. It is. It's and, like, let me punch just, you in the it, face. It, it just explodes and, it, and it's... Um, Whereas a conversation, you can, and if you do it well, you can get into it and you can come to some resolution. Even if the resolution is we agree to not disagree, but we're still going to be civil. Right. Maybe that's oh, better. We've got two more things. Yeah. So that's the. I watched somebody feed Phil. Yeah. And he's in Mississippi. Yeah. He's in a really small town and he's sitting in, at this table with the, it's called the Table of Knowledge. And all these elderly gentlemen who are in their 70s and 80s and they say, their quote is, we disagree, we agree to disagree and be agreeable about it. Yeah. That was a really good quote. And here's a, can we tell the Kevin Hart story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. This um, is the best. Okay. Well, first I want to say two things. One thing I want to say, I'm not trying to say that I always want to learn or that I always want to be proven wrong or whatever. My goal is... That I will have an open spirit and an open hands with my opinions and my thoughts and be willing to learn and to listen to you and your opinion may be completely opposite of mine, but be willing to listen and learn from you and for you to give me that same thing. That's what I find. Nobody wants to give that to anybody else. I want to say nobody, but very few people. Here's the other thing. One of the best examples of this was Kevin Hart on the Joe Rogan show. I love Joe Rogan. I love Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart said the most amazing thing. I was so impressed by him. He had started eating a vegan lifestyle. And a lot of vegans, it's like it's like a religion to some people, you know, and they really get into it and they, you know, can criticize you if you don't eat vegan. It's like a religion for some. Anyway. So Kevin Hart was talking about it and then Joe Rogan. So Kevin Hart says that he eats those new Beyond Beef patties. So they taste like ground beef, but they're not made with meat, right? And how much he loves those. And so Joe Rogan said, well, just be careful because they're made of stuff that's also not good for you. Just because they're not beef doesn't necessarily make them healthy. So Kevin Hart says... He goes, you know what? He goes, I didn't know that. He said, because you are who you are and because you like to learn and you know a lot of stuff and you're a smart guy. He goes, I am going to do some research on this now and find out. And that's how I think our, our approach should be. If I share information with you or you share information with me, it should be, oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. was unaware of that. And because I don't think you're a stupid idiot, yeah, I'm going to go look that up. And I still may not agree with you, but I'm going to go do my homework and see if there's any validity in what you have to say. What I love about that story is uh, I think conversation and conflict is caught than taught. Like he, you caught that off him. Totally. I was blown away. And it impacted you. Whereas if 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 uh, Kevin Hart had said, "Now here are my to do list. Here's what I would do in conflict," he didn't. He just modeled it. And I think there's he something powerful it. about modeling. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing you were going to say? That's a great story. Read no, it? I think that was it. Um. So I wanted to talk about conflict. It's 107. We may, yeah, let's talk about conflict. Okay. 
because uh, we're, we're already kind of going there. So that could have been a conflict thing, but it wasn't the way the way he modeled it. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a few things about conflict. I, I was thinking if I was to break down conflict, I'd break it down into posture and practice. So I think before, mm-hmm. there has to be a posture that you hold yourself to. Mm-hmm. And one thing that was powerful to me was the phrase, assume positive intent. So assume oh, the good. other person does not have ill will. Yeah. Like just just let that be your default mm-hmm. um also i think there's not there's a thing i read up on a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset so if you have a fixed mindset and you can't learn anymore and you're never wrong then i think you're in trouble first of all and and i i think a growth mindset is that, that is basically well there's a and i'll put a fixed I'll, mindset people i just have to say yeah they're some of the most difficult people to be around. Yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 and that's I a harsh agree. thing to say, but yeah, I so, find it's difficult to be around someone who has a fixed mindset. We are going to read some of the examples. A fixed mindset person would say, uh, "Now this is taken from Scaled Agile Framework website, and I'll put a link on it. I can either do it or I can't." Whereas a growth mindset person would say, "I like to try new things." Right. Mm-hmm. Fixed mindset says failure is the limit of my abilities, and then um, failure is the limit of my abilities. I'm not sure if you understand that. Growth mindset said I, I am inspired by the success of others, but they give this juxtaposition. So it's like I'm either good at it or I'm not. And this other person would say the effort, the effort, attitude, and determination. Uh, my effort and attitude determine my abilities. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I won't go too far into this, but I, I think it's an interesting. There's a there's a mindset. Can you see that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but I think if you, if you're not open to, well, this is a little bit different with the conversation. I think, yeah, this is more about like who you are as a person. And I'm talking about having a fixed mindset in your worldview. Oh, right. I agree. A fixed mindset in your politics, a fixed mindset in your religion. Yeah. Because most religions are all fixed mindsets. So there is no room. Yeah. For growth in right. those mindsets. So I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about when it comes to your your ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's fine to date and seriously date your ideas, mm-hmm. but I think it's dangerous to marry your ideas because when yeah. you marry an idea, idea, you're basically saying the two become one flesh. Now my that idea is, so, is me. That is so anti Christianity and the, the most theologies. Which is what to marry? They're your, all you have to be married to them. Well, I th- I think definitely the more strong fundamental ones you you have to be married. I'm I'm not talking about being married to God in that sense. I'm being I'm saying being married to like if I look at my own mindset or how it's around theology, like what if I had landed on one and said I'm stuck with that? And that's the right way and it's there. But, but that's what most well many religion do. Yeah. is. Yeah, but if it's you a fixed mindset, if you're saying to yourself that if you say I'm not going to marry that idea. I'm just going to court it and date it and hold it. Mm-hmm. But but I'm not going to, because if I marry it, then the two become one and become one flesh. And here's where I'm going with this. If if people's ideas are attacked, they take a person like you're attacking them. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. We need to be in a place where I can throw my idea on the table and it's mm-hmm. separate from who I am as a person and it's open. It's fair game for attack. Right. Because it's not me. It's an idea. And that's one thing we had as a team working agreement in, in a Boulder team. We said we attack ideas, not people. Right. 
But but if if you're to agree to that, you you have to realize the idea is not you. And I think oftentimes mm-hmm. we we make the idea us. It's so yes. personal. Like you're attacking me. Yes. My idea. Yes. You're attacking me. It's like no. You've got to let go of that. Right. So I think so that the yeah. What I'm saying is like you can be best friends or you can even you know you can date your ideas. But if mm-hmm. you marry them, you're locked in for life. And, yeah. and I think they're, they're, that that's where you get your fixed mindset. Yeah. And if you're not open to being wrong. And reevaluating, then mm-hmm. then I, I think you're in dangerous territory. So, but on that note, like, why are people so afraid of being wrong about an idea they've yes. held so long? I'm so glad you said that because I that's what I want. I wanted to say that too. What is that about us? Why are we so afraid of being wrong? And uh, what yeah. is it? Just our pride as humans, or what is it? I guess yeah. I mean, if you marry the idea, if some if someone attacks you, I'm gonna be upset, right? Because we're married and mm-hmm. the two have become one. Maybe that's a bad example. I I don't know so because it's become it part of So what is when someone says, okay, so like why do I have a physical reaction when I see a post on Facebook that is that is making fun of a political opinion I hold? Why do I have a physical reaction? Why do I care? Um, well, I mean, yeah. why, why do I, Great question. why would I let it bother me? Obviously there are people who exist where it doesn't bother someone. They yeah. don't, they don't care, but, or why do I care so much if someone brings up an opposing opinion? What makes me so afraid to find out about that opinion or that yeah. belief system? Yeah. Is it? Is it simply just come down to human nature and to our pride? Well, it's interesting. So if somebody made fun of your favorite restaurant on uh-huh. Facebook, would you get as upset as if they made fun of your belief system or your no. political? No. Is that why people avoid politics and religion? Because there's something about those two things that people get worked up about. If I post out that I say, if I say, um, I don't know, uh, orange lollipops are terrible and you happen to really, well, people don't get that worked up about orange lollipops. But if it's something mm-hmm. that... Like your favorite restaurant or your favorite band. Like if someone says Bono sucks. Right. I don't get that upset. Right. It's not your opinion. But if they say something else that you hold more dear to you, like a politician well, or a religious get, figure, you right. really get bent out of shape. Right. Well, just like in this conversation, it was like, because I said I voted for Joe Biden. Yeah. They said, oh my God. They yeah. were like, I mean, they were so appalled. Right. And they said, oh, my God, you're never going to live in the same America. Right, It's going to be a socialist country, and they're going to open the borders, and everybody's going to flood in. There's going to be complete open borders. And I'm like, and I'm like thinking, I don't know. It was like. Well, so there's a fear. So on their side. um, Well, they're afraid, but it's like they. I don't know. I think I lost my train of thought there, Brian. Well, no, I'm just wondering, like, if they're afraid, why are they... So they're upset. They're they're shocked because you voted for someone who that, in their mind, equals open borders. Just take pick that one thing. Open borders. First of all, does it mean open, more open borders? And if it does, then right. what does that mean? And what right. does life look like then? Well, if then all, all, all these terrorists crop come across the border, is I'm not saying they said that. Is that true? Right, and I did <laughs> like ask that. I said, do you honestly think that's going to happen? Yeah. You know, but I... I have spent the past four years. I did not vote in 2016, as yeah. you know. Well, we, we couldn't because we just got here. Well, right. Well, we were lazy. We could have, yeah, but we, we didn't. Yeah, we just weren't excited. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't really that thrilled with either candidate. But 
I tried, I have really tried over the past four years to understand Donald Trump and his politics and, and agendas and everything. And I'm not against all of his agendas or everything. I just think he's a really, you know, he's just a human being that I strongly dislike. Yeah. Um, but I just don't, but I understand why people vote for him. Yeah. I don't think, I'm not appalled that you would oh, vote say, yeah. for Donald Trump because I understand that you have issues that that are important to you, like taxes no. and abortion. And these are things you hold near and dear, but why can't someone give me that no, to say you, that I could understand well, why you would make you your choice? In that conversation, you asked them questions of how they came to that position. Did they, well, not how they came to that position. I said, how does this affect you personally? Right. Did you get asked the same question? No. So no, you, ne- you never got asked, all. why did you, why did you, it wasn't like, because you asked. There was no two-way street. So I think that's, and I think that's an important part of the conflict, right? Like, try to understand how that person got there. Right. right. And, and nobody you, gives you a asked. shit. They don't care. Well, okay. First of all, that's Most not true. People, you just well, said nobody gives a shit. Right. I said nobody. Okay. Most people I find in today's political world yeah. or in the religion. Yeah. They really don't care why you feel the way you do and why you came to that opinion. They just care about theirs. Now, could you chat in a conversation? Could you challenge them and say, hey, I noticed that you're not asking me how I got to my position, but I've asked you, are you not curious about? um, I think people are so appalled by the opposite opinion. Yeah. They wouldn't do that anyway. So here's an example from last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. You asked a question, and it was rhetorical because I said, "Would you like me to take take an answer?" Mm-hmm. And you didn't want an answer because I think you have a fixed mindset around that subject, right. and you're tired of my answer. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So I think you, can you see it in yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, well, that's step one, right? Let me let what me look. About, at... But but on that topic though, you and I have had many 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 conversations. It's not that I haven't had a lot of conversations yeah, on that. But you, I have. Yeah, you know, because well, it was rhetorical because you knew what my answer was going to be. Exactly. Whereas someone well, else's, I may not know what their answer would I be. Think it was, I think it was a clever answer that you'd be... I'll tell you that later. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about... We talked about the posture. Mm-hmm. That's tough. I mean, that's got that's a lot of self-reflection, right? Yeah. And that's some of the questions are, am I assuming positive intent? Am I mm-hmm. curious about how the other person got to that belief? Um, am I open to being wrong about something? And if I'm right. not, why am, I, why am I so afraid of being wrong here? And, and right. So I, th- I think ton, tons of conflict has to do with um well it's not not that different than Martin Luther King when he would go out search or going out going out marching they would do some internal searching of their own souls for a long mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. that was a big part of his journey of self reflection first then i will go against what i what i think is injustice but anyway so i think there's there's there is with conflict we have to be continually self reflecting right um are you going to say something well, I was just going to say that politics has now entered the realm of religion. Yes. It has its own theology now. Right. And people are... Yeah. People hold it in that same way because they they feel... Yeah. And so, the, and so um, much stuff is tied to justice and... The, and somebody said, uh, I heard that somebody said... Fauci should be burned at the stake or beheaded oh or something. Oh my God. So I think when you... I do hear... That's a medieval religious talk right there. Oh my God. 
I won't say who it is because I haven't confirmed it, but he was, uh, you know, he's a political character. Not I mean, when you say stuff like that, it's even, insane. I mean, I'm human, right? So I've had horrible thoughts regarding, right. you know, things happening to people, but I just, it's a horrible thing. Number one, we're probably going to have thoughts like that. But then right. if you post them I and then you actually say them. But here's the other problem. The distance between your thought and it being out in the world is... is your keyboard. It's your keyboard. Yeah. And Do during a pandemic, who are you going to see? In the old days, like your distance between thought and print was... Uh, first of all, it was a long distance and only a few people got to make that right. distance. But now right. anyone can just throw a thought out. Right. I think that can be very dangerous. Like, do right. you really want to just share your thoughts so fast? Like, we're kind of doing it now, though, aren't we? But we're not attacking. Yeah. But right. still, I don't think we are. we're just well, about like, a, back in five the day, you had a from... newspaper with one or two political cartoons in it. Yeah. And nowadays, what used to be the political cartoon are memes currently. Right, yeah. And they're probably more vicious, I'm guessing. Well, I don't know. I don't And they remember. Well back then they were they we, were the they were the precursor to memes. That's right. I never political thought about cartoon. That. That's very good. But the political cartoon now is like they're just like people are manufacturing these all the time. And then you yeah. have Russia and China putting theirs out as well. Let me talk about talk about posture. Let me talk about practice. Okay. If I may. A good technique for conflict is if somebody says something, mirror back to them what you think they said. Oh, yeah. That's good. Especially if it's something that upset you. You say, okay, just so I understand, this is what I heard you say. Mm -hmm. And you say, repeat it back though in your own, own words how mm -hmm. you understood it. Because the important thing is you're hearing stuff, but you're hearing it through a filter. Right. A filter could be your cultural filter, your whatever filter. So when you repeat it back to them, you may expose to them a bias you've placed on what they said that mm -hmm. they never said. Mm -hmm. It gives them the chance to say, yes, that's what I said or no. Yeah. I'd always start from there. Like, you know, that uh, habit, seek first to understand. That's something I still need to get better at because I just, I can often jump to conclusions, as you know, and it's like, I do mm -hmm. want to, like, if we seek first I think we all do. I, yeah. First, you know, Brian and I both will admit that we struggle with all of these things that we're talking about here. Yeah. And we're trying, I definitely want to have a growth mindset when it comes to conversations. Yeah. And I do have a lot of fear around being in conversations who I know have radically different views and opinions as my own because I'm a chicken. Right. And I would rather retreat than interact. I, I don't know. Like, is it, is it a chicken or is it like, I just don't want to die on that hill. This relationship isn't worth ruining over this subject. Right. Well, right. It's not worth ruining over that subject. But I. this is a sad part of all this that I'm going to say here. When you're in a relationship with someone who has radically different opinions and beliefs as yourself, your relationship is like a body with an arm cut off. Yeah. Because the organism, it's almost like it kind of kills part of the organism. You can't ever, you only go so far with that person. You can't, uh, like you and I, we don't agree on every single thing, but we agree on a lot of things. Yeah. And I feel like our relationship is very strong. Yeah. But if we take that same relationship and then we have all these things where we can't talk about them, they're off the table, they're off limits. Yeah. Excuse me. I don't know. I mean, and maybe I'm just immature. 
But I feel like there's so many, I have a lot of relationships. So what I hear you say, oh, finish your thought. Well, for me, I like, I want to be known. And I think this is something that maybe it's unique to just an, to artists, but a lot of artists, their main goal in life is to be known. And if you can't fully know me, yeah, and you don't fully know me, then the, I find that to be very difficult for me. Yeah. And if I can only go so far with you, but you don't yeah. fully know me and understand me or want to understand me or even hear me, then I feel I pull away from you and I'll build a wall. I, I, it makes sense. So, what? well, what I hear you saying is that for you to be in a true relationship, you have to be fully yourself. And if there's if there's a section of the conversations you're going to steer away from because you don't want it to blow up. You question the point of that relationship because that means you can't be full of yourself. You can't really give all your opinions because because they won't land well. Right. People, a lot of times, I don't show my entire, I don't play my entire hand almost never. Yeah. Because I can't. Because it, here's the other thing is that these these topics, religion and politics, they're it's like being in Cambodia and you're going to step on a mine. And something's going to get blown off. Right. But it shouldn't have to be that way. But that's the way it is. Um, Unfortunately, that's how it is. I wish I had a time machine. I went back to... uh, Well, I don't think there's ever been a perfect place where maybe civility happened, but... I don't know. Do you think there'd be like a cafe in Paris somewhere 100 years ago where people... 200 years ago, whatever, where people started sharing ideas and it was safe? Probably not, because it was probably... You probably had philosophers sharing ideas. It's like, "Uh uh-oh. The, the local church is going to come down on you and pound you to death or something. Yeah. It's sad that there's just not a place for that. Well, I shouldn't say there's not. We, I think we live in a good democracy where we, we might get mad at each other, but nobody's going to jail over their ideas, right? Not Well, not yet. So, um, so I want to talk about another technique that if you bark, Maggie, I'm going to be upset. I think she might have to go to the bathroom. Okay. She can let, I'll, just open you, the I'll start talking. So... Um, there's a great technique I've learned. So I'm an uh, agile coach by day, and we pick up a few good techniques around conflict. And one of them is called impactful feedback. So if somebody's mean to you, you have one option. You can say, you're an a-hole. Probably not helpful. Probably won't get the results you're looking for. Another option is you tell the person, you just you say, hey, when you did this and you're, you're being specific, there's no judgment. You're just calling out what they did you're, and and... You're just saying, when you did this, this was how it impacted me. So let me give you an example. So I was in a meeting with a guy, and he, in the middle of the meeting, he shushed me. Now, we were good friends, but he felt very comfortable to go, shh. And then I shut down, didn't contribute for the rest of the meeting. And I was really pissed at him. And I ran through my head how I'm going to approach it. And one approach was, hey, that wasn't cool to shush me. You know, you didn't have to be an ass like that. That's one approach. Another approach was, hey, you were a jerk when you did that. Again, all judgment approaches. So I had to think about it. And it takes some effort because, you're again, you're pointing to the activity with no judgment and how it impacted you. So I said, hey, when you shushed me in that meeting, the impact on me was that it shut me down and I no longer contributed to the meeting, but I really wanted to. And he completely heard it and he felt bad. And he knew right away that he had done wrong. And he's, I'm really sorry. So I think that mm-hmm. I think it's a really effective thing because all you're saying is your action led to this impact on yeah. me. There's no judgment. You're just and it's hard to argue. Like 
the person on the receiving end can't argue oh no it didn't it, it didn't impact you that way mm -hmm. no i'm telling you your action impacted me that way right and it, i think it takes a lot of emotion there's other versions of that where when you said this to me it made me feel this way mm -hmm. that's good too i think i i do think the impact language is, is stronger so did you say was i not listening did you just say the story i tell myself is this oh that's the next one i want to tell you so okay. that was a good one a guy I used to work with called thad he modeled this back to your modeling mm -hmm. of kevin hart um when his way of doing it was hey when you said that the story i told myself was this uh, the story i told myself is that you were judging me or whatever mm -hmm. and then uh then i have a chance to correct them oh no that i wasn't thinking that at all mm -hmm. or another time i said you know what you were right i, I was and you mm -hmm. picked up right i like that one a lot yeah and i he, i would hear him say to because sometimes you got to hear it a few times for the person to model the the positive conflict and then you pick up on it yeah so i've used that i used it recently because um my boss kept checking in on me it was a new job i switched to and he just constantly did you do this did you do this did you do this, did you do this? and i called him and said hey when you call me a lot like that the story i tell myself is that you're you don't have confidence in mm -hmm. me to do this job he goes no 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 and then he he turned it back on himself and said well was i calling you a lot and i, and I said no i said it's it's fine i said i've, I've got the answer i said because mm -hmm. what he said is no not at all i think you're doing great Mm -hmm. So what he clarified was that his behavior was not him thinking, I don't have confidence in you. He yeah. did have confidence in me. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I said, okay, good. We're, we're good. I don't want you to change your behavior. Don't, don't check in on me less. Now that yeah. I know that's not the story, I can move yeah. on. So, so I guess the point of that being, you're not always looking in that, in that thing where when you do this, the story I tell myself, you're just trying to get clarity. Is that the true story? Mm -hmm. And if you're wrong, then there's, there, you've resolved it. And, the person doesn't have to change behavior. Yeah. Because you now know that that behavior is not telling the story. Like, so are you getting what, bored? No. Okay. So what story yeah. are we telling ourselves when someone brings up a different political opinion than the one we hold? What are we telling ourselves then? I don't know because it... it, it uh, well, it depends. Like that... I don't think that's a conflict situation. Like if somebody, like in the case where, it where feels someone, like a okay, conflict though. well, in the example you gave, it was, I can't believe you voted for him. You could have come back and said, Hey, when you say that, mm -hmm. the story I tell myself is that you don't think I'm intelligent enough to make right. a wise decision. And I'm an idiot. Is that what you're right. thinking? Right. So yeah. maybe that's a way you could approach that. Yeah. Cause the, the, the phrasing of that. I love your beard. Oh, do you? I do. I thought you didn't like it short. <clears throat> well, it's short, but I love the colors. There, I had beard in. I was looking at um, Eric's beard. I won't give his last name. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. He's got a great beard. He's a nice beard. And I'm, anyway. But your beard is like that too. You just keep it trimmed back. Yeah, we're in the post amble now. But by I the love way. your. I love your beard. Should it's I grow it longer? Very, no. Well, you can if you want to. Is it, but I love the, what I'm speaking about. Speak the colors. Is the color of your beard? It's gray though. It's perfect. It's green. But it's but you have it's almost like it's you it's like you have a natural goatee shape with the gray and yeah. then the red is on the sides. Like yeah. your sideburns are red. And it just it makes that. this really yeah. nice Oh thanks. Yeah. It's very artistic. Oh, is it? Okay. It's very you, aesthetically you could, pleasing. Maybe you could paint a picture of it. No, I can't. Okay. Well, I think we're at the end of our conflict um time and then we'll put some stuff out there and uh, and i suggest going and listening to the joe rogan kevin hart podcast if you want to yeah what are you uh, doing today 
Um, and just listen to oh, Joe Rogan enormous. in general ah, as a good example of how to have conversations and ask really good questions. Okay, what am I going to do today? Yeah. I'm hoping to finish a painting today. And I'm going to read. I'm yeah. reading a book called Natchez Burning. Yeah. That was recommended to me. And we're doing it for the book club. And I'm going to make Jamaican jerk chicken tacos today. What are you going to do today, Brian? Well, I was going to go for a run, a 10-mile run. But nice. they, they canceled the half marathon in December. So are you going to do 10 miles or 5 miles? I, sh- I was thinking of no miles now that I canceled no it. No miles. But I should do. I should pretend they didn't cancel it. Yeah. Because if I don't have a goal, I won't practice. I need to, I'll get out there and see what the weather's like and do something. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. read a book. What, a book I called. What um, time do you plan on reading? Do you want to know what the name I'll of the book you. is? Since you offered yes, your name. Yes, I do. Because I was what really reading the most about it's a book by Niall, Niall Shanks called It's Something um, God, the Devil, and Darwin, a Critique of Intelligent Design. Oh, fascinating. Where'd you well, get that co- book? Uh, I bought it a while ago when I was in seminary. Well, because I, what, I, I've, I've been able to argue strongly for intelligent design, so I mm-hmm. wanted to hear what the, what the people like himself, what his opposite view is. Right. Funny about that. Oh, I know. This, this kind of fits in. My last few months of seminary, mm-hmm. I wanted to read Richard Dawkins' God is, no, no, um, The God Delusion. Uh-huh. And I was so afraid to read it because I was yeah. afraid it would turn me into an atheist. And it's like, well, I should at least get through my finals first because well, it's going to be hard to sit in front of two professors for an hour and a half. If I right. Well, that's the thing, too. So that, that's is, about the fear, right? Well, yeah. Why? Like There are religions that actually don't allow people who go to their church yeah. or whatever they call it to not read. They're not allowed to read certain things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's control, yeah. Be, go on the internet and watch videos. Like, if you claim that something is true, that's the other thing. Yeah. Then you should be able to take any critique or argument and be able to look at it and break it down without fear. What do you have to fear? Well, what you have to fear is you lose your everything you've believed your whole life. Right. And if and you then you, in, in doing so, at one level, it's like, well, I'm going, either one, I'm going to hell, or number two... I'm fear. A bigger thing is I'm losing a part of my identity of who I am. In this case, or you could come into a better identity. Well, I did potentially. Uh, well, as it turned out, it was a really enjoyable book. I didn't agree with a lot of it, but I, I, he made some good points. But like, if you read the book, we have it downstairs. I made a ton of notes where I'm yeah. actually arguing with him, but it was very uh, intellectually satisfying because. Um, because he's saying things I didn't agree with, right? Right. How can you have a conversation with someone? with a different opinion if you don't necessarily understand you don't. so it was good and it also made him less the enemy because like you go through these apologetics classes and people like him and hitchens are the enemy you know well right. I, i'm not saying the class made it like that but they're the guys you have to debate but going through the book it felt like i sat and had a cup of tea with him for a few hours right. and it was like i'd love to meet the guy you know and have a chat right so but i'm reading that book because i think going back to the whole what do you have to fear yeah so i'm not an atheist and I think um, I think one way of viewing it is if reading that book alone turns me into an atheist, how big is the God I have believed in? Mm-hmm. That's one way. Right. The other way to look at it is, which another person could say, well, um, you're going to read that book and you're going to become an atheist because the God you believed in is delusional and he's going to convince you that he doesn't exist. But what? That, 
No. The God you believe in is no, delusional. No, I'm saying, what if I did turn into an atheist? What if God didn't exist? I turned into an atheist reading that book and then came to the truth. Like, wouldn't that be good too? Does that I'm make sense? Lost. Yeah, it does, I know. I'm just saying, like, I think ultimately would you, would you, you would want to get to the truth. But either way, but what, everyone the, has, there's like a million different versions of what people say the truth is. Well, I'm just saying, I, I got it. So, what's the end goal then? Like, if you, I think you want to just be a long post movement. I think you just want to be a student always and be curious and be curious and learning and be open to being wrong or learning new things. And I don't know. And, and see what happens. I think that's good. See what happens. That's was that the name of our podcast? See where it goes. See where it goes and see where it goes. No. So maybe like I was talking about, like maybe I was just saying there, Oh, well, the pressure of the ultimate path of to be on but what if the ultimate path is just like what's the path for today what's the path for today i need to be on right and this week right and 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 as i don't know this is we're, we're getting into a weed weed patch here okay well you know sometimes joe rogan has long post standles does he yeah it's like not the length 15 it's, minutes. it's okay well we're gonna go to we're gonna yeah. go now we're gonna go to commercial break we're gonna we are? No, we don't have any sponsors. Yeah, we don't have any sponsors. Because is anyone listening at all? Okay, well, thank you for listening, you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye-bye.